0: I'm Christopher Lydon in an open-source conversation with the nonstop Norwegian writer Karl Ove Knausgaard, the author of a six-volume selfie that a lot of us can't stop reading. My Struggle, he called it, looking inward and talking to himself for thousands of pages. Autumn, his new book, is a relief. For him and for us, it looks outward in short pieces, letters to a new daughter before she was born, about telephones, stubble fields, Wellington boots, chimneys, the painter Vincent van Gogh. You name it, he'll write it. A theme a day is in that college course we wish we had taken. In conversation, it's not one guy introspecting, it's two guys groping for a connection. Sitting in the back of my house in Boston for most of an hour, in the storm season of 2017. Fair warning, he drops a bit of vulgar vernacular street language into our gab, probably nothing you haven't heard five times today. I'm asking, what's the difference between his narcissism and President Trump's? We're jumping from gene editing to Russian novels to the experience of loneliness, and I'm finding him wide open to engagement, generous, transparent, in effect, innocent.
1: The books I've been writing before were so introspective and so analytic and so self-analyzing. It's very much about relations, and very much about psychology, and it's basically all about the interior life. And this book is the opposite. I'm looking at something outside of myself, mm-hmm. and it is the things itself that should be in center, uh, basically yes, removed from myself. But the fun thing to me was to see what happened if you write you know, in your own style, personally, about something objective, what happens with encyclopedia, thought of the world, you know, everything becomes in the end very personal anyway, you know, somehow it's impossible to remove yourself. You never think of quality of writing in an encyclopedic text, you know, in a dictionary. It's just like it's a matter of fact, this is the Mm. world. But what you discover when you write about it, that's just not true. Objective word just doesn't exist, you know. It's all the relationship between me and the world and you and the world, you know. There is nothing else.
0: So why get out of yourself after so long inside? Was it for relief?
1: Yeah, very much a relief. It was joyful to write this book. And it wasn't joyful to write my struggle, as as my previous book was called. But a joyful part is you know, because I am writing about joyful things. I'm writing about being alive in this world, mm. which is joyful. We, we forget it all the time, <laughs> but but it is. And and this book is mainly set in a garden and a yeah. house, and that's it. And, and that's where the world is. I mean, even now, even when there is hurricanes and, and you know, um, climate change and all wars and hunger and all of this this is still true you know it is yeah, yeah, it does yeah. exist you
0: know Dostoevsky probably much better than I do but you immediately reminded me of the Father Zosima's brother dying as a boy tuberculosis maybe but he realizes he's dying and he and he's telling everybody lighten up if, if, if we could only wake up we'd realize we're in paradise now yeah. this minute Yeah, something of that
1: yeah I think so yeah but it's so hard to live there And it is how hard to see it, but it is possible, you know, through art and through literature to to see that, I think. But it makes it also kind of maybe one-dimensional because this is a book almost without darkness, you know, and and such a place doesn't exist, (laughs) but it is, you know, but that's what I'm looking at now in this book.
0: What's the method? What would you teach us how to
1: do this? I watched uh, an interview with Ian McEwan once and he used the term Mm. selfless. as kind of a selfless state of mind you could have when you were writing. And he was the first to formulate what I have felt all the time when I'm writing. And then that's the point, to be a place where where you are not aware of yourself and and where the writing is completely free. Uh, And that's a place where many, many things happen. The hard part is to get there, and the easy part when you're there is just to write. And the first time that happened was when I was 27, it was my first novel. And then I've been struggling to write for 10 years, but then I realized this is how it is to write, where you could pour yourself in or what you have into a literary form and something else comes back. And it's not longer you, it, it is you know, it's connected to something, and that something is literature, and literature is connected to the world and to other readers. So it basically was my experience when I started to write, and I knew, knew now this is writing, it was the moment writing was reading, you know, because reading is the same, you you mm-hmm. let go of yourself, especially with Tostoevsky for some strange reason, you just disappear into it, you know. And the challenge here was to try to do that in a short format, you know, just a thing, So when I started, I didn't know anything about what I'm going to write, and I just started often with a description just to start somewhere, and then it took me someplace I didn't know of before I started.
0: I wish you'd read the end of your short piece on Van Gogh, the painter, just because I wondered if you were describing, in a sense, your own process you describe van gogh and others have too but he he was not a natural painter he didn't start early he wasn't precocious he didn't have a great technique yeah then in his late 20s 30s sounds like you he discovers this explosive energy and it, it keeps getting more and more intense read that starting from um his paintings of landscapes
1: yeah His paintings of landscapes produce none of the emotion that landscapes evoke. It is as if he isn't attached to them, as if he is departing and now casts a final look upon the world. The lightness this engenders is peculiar. It resembles nothing else. The lightness doesn't lie in his technique as with other painters for Van Gogh lost his battle with technique. His lightness is of a different kind. By relinquishing technique, he gained something else, a carelessness that allows the world to appear unfettered by how we happen to have conceived of it. Van Gogh tried to commit himself to the world, but couldn't do it. He tried to commit himself to painting, but couldn't do it. Therefore, he rose above them both and committed himself to death only then did the world and painting become possible for him for the entire force of these paintings all their manic light and singular power of penetration which make them appear as though the celestial were suffusing the earthly and lifting it up is contingent on the look he casts upon it really being his very last
0: something of you in that process
1: it is something of, you know, every artist and every writer in that process. Uh, since we spoke a little bit about Russian literature, there is a, a wonderful passage in War and Peace by, by Tolstoy. The scene is um, Prince Andrew and he's coming to Natasha Rostov's house. Yes. And she's playing the piano <laughs> and he's talking with some of the other guests there. He All of a sudden he does to listen to the piano. And he starts to cry. And this is so such a strange concept for him crying. He doesn't cry, and he don't know why he's crying. And then he has this you know insight at the end of that passage that it was the terrible contrast between the inner, limitedless, boundless world. And all the bounds and limits in the outer world that made him cry and also lifted him up. It was both a very happy moment and a moment of terror. You know, that difference between the the inner self and the inner life and the inner world, which is so rich in everybody, and the restrictions in the outer world is so very different. And I think every artist wants to get that more similar on a similar level to express everything, effortless or as effortless as possible and that's why all artists you know works very fast for instance it is just to to get there and van gogh is especially interesting because he was so you know technically he was almost ridiculous when he started compared to other painters and he started very late but you can see the fight and you can see the struggle to get you know all the restrictions in his technique and to open it up and and be possible to to paint what he most definitely must have seen the world as. it happened through 10 years and then he died so so you could see that development and evolution mm. so extremely and, and so universal somehow for an artist and he reached also to places where no other have reached just because of that
0: you've told people that you're a happier man now are you less worried than you were about being lonely with your father's loneliness
1: yeah, um, I am less worried about that. That's also because I have children. You know, you aren't. it is a, di- a completely different situation. I mean, my struggle is very much about him and my relationship to him. Uh, in this book, he is absent, with one exception. That was because I wanted to write about what it is to be alone. And then it ends up with being about him and, and his loneliness. I think I did discover something that I didn't knew before about him. Um, Describe
0: that a little bit. If I can read it. Loneliness. Yeah. Yeah, please.
1: Loneliness. It's good to be alone. It is good to shut the door behind one and not be with other people for a while. It hasn't always been like this. In childhood, being alone was a defect or a failing, often painful. If you were alone, it was because no one wanted to be with you or because there was no one to be with. The absence of others was unequivocally negative. Several people together was good, alone was bad, that was the rule. And yet I never asked myself how this applied to my father, who spent so much time alone. He was a supreme being, everything about him was as it should be. It never occurred to me that his solitude too could be a defect or a flaw, something painful. He had no friends only colleagues, and he spent most evenings alone in the basement recreation room, where he listened to music or worked on his stamp collection. He shunned social intimacy, he never sat on a bus, never cut his hair at the hairdressers, he was never one of the parents who drove to football matches with a carload of kids. At the time I didn't notice this. Not until he died and we found his diary was I able to see his life in that light. Loneliness concerned him, he had thought about it a great deal. I have always been able to recognize the lonely he wrote in his diary. They don't walk the same way as other people. It is as if they don't carry any joy, any spark within themselves, whether they are woman or man." In another entry he wrote, I am looking for a word for the opposite of loneliness. I would like to find a different word. To love, which is far too overworked and inadequate. Tenderness, peace of mind and soul, togetherness? Togetherness was a good word for it. It is the opposite of loneliness. Why he never felt it, I don't know. It is one of the good feelings in life, perhaps the best. And yet I often do as he did, close the door behind me to be alone. I know why I do it, it is good to be alone, for a few hours to be exempt from all the complicated bonds, all the conflicts, great and small, all the demands and expectations, wills and desires that build up between people, and which after only a short time become so densely intertwined that the room for reflection and for action are both restricted. If everything that stirs between people made a sound, It would be like a chorus, a great murmur of voices would rise from even the faintest glimmer in the eyes. Surely he too must have felt this? Perhaps more powerfully than I do? For he started drinking, and drinking muffles this chorus and makes it possible to be with other people without hearing it. Yes, that must be it. For the sentence he ended that diary entry with, I could never have written. He wrote. In brief, what I have just now so clumsily tried to express, is that I have always been a lonely man. Or, the thought strikes me now with horror, maybe it was the other way round? Maybe he simply didn't hear the chorus, didn't know it exists, and therefore didn't become bound by it? But remained forever standing on the outside, observing how all the others were bound by something he didn't understand.
0: What's the progress of your own battle with loneliness?
1: Uh, <laughs> I have no struggle with loneliness anymore. I, you know I'm hiding in writing is a good place to hide, and I've done that <laughs> for quite a while, and I have you know my, my children, and so now'm I'm, I'm perfectly. <laughs> on the other side.
0: I'm just puzzling for all the readers of your books. What is it that a man is looking for? I'm thinking in my own experience, one of the sweetest things I ever said to me uh, was, I thought I had done a guy a real, I'd let him down, and he said, look, you have to understand one thing. I said, what is that? He said, you can do no wrong in my eyes. In another way, saying it, you know, bad as you are, you're not that bad, but also don't worry about it. Mm. Isn't that something like your discovery after six volumes of examining every blooper, every mistake, every irregularity, every embarrassment in your life?
1: Mm. Yeah, I think the book could work that way, Uh, but it doesn't for me because I wrote them as books, you know, as novels, and, and that was the aim, but it is... Also, you know, a matter of acceptance. And I think that's maybe why so many people have read those books, because it is about that, you know.
0: About what? How do you put it?
1: Acceptance or, you know. Um... Last night I was in Chicago and it, there was a line f- for signing and he said he felt less alone when he was reading the book. That's what I like in reading diaries or reading about other lives in that way. is such a great comfort just in being so close to another self. So if I'm in a deep crisis, that's what I do. I read, I read a diary, not mm-hmm. because it is something wise in it or something. Mm. It is just the presence of someone else that also has a life, that also is somehow always trouble and difficult. And it is a way of lifting off the burden somehow. Mm. And literature has always done that for me in many, many, many ways. But I don't know what my books are doing. And I don't write, you know, for that purpose.
0: You're not the only men's movement in the world these days. There's another one embodied in our president, Donald J. Trump, who is the most self-obsessed, narcissistic, self-indulgent, eternally me, 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 me. And I wonder how many degrees of separation is his self-obsession and yours? How many stages between the two of you? In
1: personal life, that's maybe not different um, but in writing you know in writing about my life as I have done it is an endless distance between Donald <laughs> Trump and my writing it is almost the opposite
0: What is it that men want to find discover glory in in your story and his both they're not entirely different I don't think. Men want to be vindicated as the most fascinating things in the world the wisest, most impulsive sexiest most heroic characters that could possibly be conceived?
1: <laughs> I don't know, I mean, I've never... <sighs> but the book is about trying to understand all the relations that I am in, that shaped me, you know, that's the that's driving force in the book, and that's very different, that's opposite than narcissism. It is, you know, okay, okay, it is narcissism, because it is about the self, but in this book, the self is kind of a raw material. It is nothing in itself, but it is what you can use it for in, in in literature, you know, and in existential terms, what it is to be a man now, alive now, what it means and what it is. That's not a narcissistic project at all. Like, people who haven't read it think it is a narcissistic project. People who read it tend to see that it, that it is not. But um, as a person, I, I could recognize myself in... In Donald Trump. Uh and I think many, many men can do that. We have all been there, but somehow then we were thirteen or fourteen and maybe fifteen. Hmm. So that's in us and we, we recognize it, but I yeah, it is very hard to relate in a serious way to
0: to that question, I think. I don't think he's finished all six volumes of your book yet either.
1: <laughs> I think the most narcissistic man I have Ever read about outside of Donald Trump is is the Norwegian painter Edvard Munch. I worked with him. Yes, yes, Yeah, for a while, and I was reading about him, and he is kind of a full-blooded narcissist somehow.
0: You're rediscovering, helping everybody to rediscover Edvard <laughs> Munch, the icon of <laughs> he, existential
1: horror. Yeah, yeah, but he. It's very interesting with him because he. I think he was. Um, he had an extremely radical painting in uh, the early uh, eighteen. Uh, 80s
0: before the scream yeah
1: before the scream, it's called sick girl. I think he was 22, and it it is um. It is a complete distortion of an image, which is a kind of a, a classical cliché image: is the sick girl, the dying girl. Mm. And he had a sister who died, and and he completely distorts everything. He's he's looking for something. so almost like he's digging into something. You know the mm. the visual world how it should be and how it was represented is completely fucked up it's completely different mm. and the radicality that was how to understand now because now this is the norm but then people were just laughing just laughing at him you know what a joke you are i was starting to talk about him because he was he was a narcissist and he he lost his mother when he was three and lost his sister, which he really, really loved when he was a teenager. So he completely had no bond with the world. He mistrusted the world, I think, deeply. So he was badly hurt by that. Mm. And he was a complete narcissist, I think, complete self-obsessed. It was only him that really mattered. Trump doesn't have anything except himself, and that's a tragedy, you know? But Mokad painting is a place where he could challenge his experience in a place where he can hide from them. So he challenged them for 10 years, and then he hid for the rest of his life. But he did understand, I think, the nature of his experience through reading Dostoevsky. Since you've been mentioning Dostoevsky, it was yeah. extremely important to him, because I think his experience weren't represented in painting. I mean, he had this experience and his paintings, nothing like it, you know. But in Dostoevsky's book, that kind of brutal and raw and very direct and, and primitive almost world did exist. And I know he read him, and I know the, he died in 1944. On the day he died, he went to his uh, bed, and he read The Obsessed by Dostoevsky, and then he died. That's Edward Munch's life story. He, he read
0: the, the Devils, or The Possessed. Yeah that's, yeah, 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 that's the one. Yeah, That's the
1: last book he, he read. But it was the Donald Trump Association I was thinking about. Uh, so self confidence and self belief is very good because it keeps you from narcissism and keep you from self obsess. <laughs> yeah, it does. Makes you healthy and makes you open for the world, you know? If something goes wrong, which is must have done with Donald Trump, I'm, hmm. you're either fucked on a president or fucked on a great painter. It's. it's mm. <laughs> well, that's it's the always. Emerson
0: challenge. Emerson tells us to be full of self. But not full of yourself. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's a big difference, yeah.
0: At this stage in your life, where do you find your mind, your taste heading next? To the east, possibly, to Russia possibly. Where's your migration today?
1: <laughs> no, I'm I'm very interested in, in Russia,
0: that's right. Yeah, I, I guessed. So uh yeah, i probably go there and and write about it. I would presume that the the goal somewhere it's around Dostoevsky or Tolstoy perhaps. Yeah, and also Turgenev,
1: he's an important writer for me.
0: Yeah. Speak of the Dostoevsky of the Underground Man or of those lonely stories in Petersburg. Where would you go to pick up the Dostoevsky thread? He was in struggle too. Yeah. He was struggling with religion, and the powerful hunger in every one, of, every one of us for some notion of God, or spiritual life, or the next world, and also with the impossibility of knowing it completely, or affirming it entirely. Yeah. Is that part of your search?
1: No, I don't think I am. I'm more and more uh, interested in the material world, the bodily world, and the physical world. And that's, you know, almost almost the opposite of Dostoevsky's writing and obsession. And I'm more and more drawn towards Turgenev's world. You know, it's so open towards the world in his writing. And, and also Tolstoy, I mean, but I don't think about these things. I just have desires and lust for something and I go there. Um, do you remember the text in this autumn book about uh, daguerreotype? Daguerreotype, yes. It's the first photograph ever taken, and, and it is a man. Every single movement is erased from the image because of Exposure the... Exposure was so slow. Yeah, and in that photo, the street is completely empty, and it's in Paris, so it should be, you know, bustling with people and life. But it's completely empty, with one exception. There's <laughs> one figure standing there, yes. and I saw this, and I thought that must be the devil because he has a different time than us, so he will be visible if you do that. So that's what I'm thinking. From there, I would my writing that would be a starting point for my writing. The devil and. And what that means now, and also because it is physical, it is physical, and it's an embodiment of evil, which is an insane idea. Everybody knows that's just stupid. That's not how evil mm-hmm. works. That's not what evil is. But I'm interested in it, maybe because I wrote a book about angels. That was my second book, which is a simple and silly idea, but it starts with the notion: what if angels were real and were here and had a physical presence? On earth, and I retold the Bible from that perspective. I'm even more interested in the physical, bodily part of you know life now than I was. So, and also the terrible things that happen with manipulation, with genes and DNA and and cloning, and all of that stuff that's going on. Yeah, Uh, we can't regulate it, it's just happening. Those things I'm extremely interested in, and I want to find a way into that.
0: Yeah, 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 tell us about it. You know, some of the most advanced work on the planet is being done about a mile from here, across the river at MIT, the editing yeah. of genes. Yeah, the, exactly. Could be the invention of a different species. Speak about yeah. the sense that we are all beset with every kind of change, the climate, a digital reality, robots in the workplace. Something fundamental is changing, in the whole business of being a human being.
1: There was an election in Norway on, on Monday, and there was a kind of a climate gathering, and I gave a speech. We think was, of Norway
0: as unspoilable, all those forests and fjords. I mean, it's.
1: Norway is, is the fifth biggest exporter of gas, and there is a new old field in the north, in the Barents Sea. No way, stinking rich. Uh, the climate is fucked up. They still want to explore it and to start to drill. And there's a very sensitive area, you know, nature-wise. There, it's so vulnerable, and it's such a stupid thing to do. You should Just leave it, you know. And yeah, it's basically the same as Trump here. You know, he starts the coal mining again, and and just despite everything we know. But I'm I can't write about that because that's a political issue, you know. But I can write about you know, find a way and and write about something else that relates to it. So that's why I'm interested in, you know, the physical reality of being. And that raises questions, what is it to exist? You know, what is it to be? You know, the stupid classic questions, where do we come from? You know, what is evolution? And all those kind of things. I'm extremely interested in it. It's very difficult to make it into literature. You know, it is... It is science, it is nature, it is. And literature has to be emotions and relations and yeah. that side of it. That's what I want to do. Do you
0: know the novelist Amitav Ghosh, Indian writer? He says this is the big vacuum that the creative artists, writers especially, have not even begun to cope with a complete derangement of our physical experience.
1: Yes, yeah, true. But I'm not doing it to you know, to do any good, I'm just very, very interested
0: in it. Well, he wonders too. Why? Why are we not responding? We're letting the most precious things in our world yeah. escape. But us. It,
1: because it is so hopeless. I mean, with the climate, because you know what you have to do, but it's out of reach. And if I see a documentary about death of species, or the heating of the waters and, and melting of, the, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to deal with it. And I think so many people has it that way. It's just hopeless, and then mm. it's better to block it out. Uh, but it isn't. That's the fault of thinking, you know, that it is hopeless. Because it is only hopeless because we, you know, let it be hopeless. I'm optimistic. There's no reason to be, but I am.
0: How do you feel about improving the human species? At the level of dna
1: it's an absolutely nightmare it's a horrible 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 thought. Absolutely. even to prevent
0: cancer or baldness or
1: yeah because the the side effects is so huge and uncontrollable and terrible yeah this is a very deep i think religious impulse that i have you know it, it's, yeah. it is in my body it is if i think rationally i think yeah of course you could do it and that's okay i mean it's working and there's no consequences we can see, but instinctively I feel it's, it's wrong. We shouldn't do it. We shouldn't go there.
0: What other religious impulses do you have? I think that's the
1: one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a moral question that I can't uh, challenge with my mind. You know, it's grounded in me somehow.
0: Karl Ove Knausgaard, you may be a narcissist, I'm not sure, but you're a very generous man to...
1: Very generous narcissist, that's that's good.
0: And you may be a sinner, but you have a wonderful air of innocence about you.
1: I've heard that someone in the signing line said to me a quote from Graham Greene where he said innocence is a form
0: of madness. (laughs) Thank you so much for this conversation. Oh, Thank you. We had an interesting and intense conversation. Karl Ove wrote in my copy of his new book it's titled Autumn, Letters to an Unborn Daughter. You're invited to leave your comment on our conversation at radioopensource.org. I'm Christopher Leighton. Thank you for being part of the Open Source Podcast Project.